The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is 93.7 The Ticket. Look at me short. Look at me short. I'm the captain now. Three-time national champion, Vershawn Jackson. Oh, got a bunch all alone is Vershawn Jackson. And Vershawn, he'll get it to the 24-yard line. Coming at you live from the Koppel Chevrolet GMC Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America. On air and online at theticketfm.com. Here he is, Vershawn Jackson. We're back to Captain the Ticket 93.7, TyroneBird.com. If you need some insurance, TyroneBird.com. That's bird with a Y, not an I. And we're talking any type of insurance, life insurance, uh, uh, medical insurance, health insurance. Uh, business insurance, you name it, he's got it. TyroneBird.com, Bird with the Y. He's practicing in Arizona, Colorado, and Nebraska. Pretty good, right, Coach? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Coach, you got you are the to me the king of one liners and the king of just saying making statements that come true. Give me, you got any one liners for me? <laughs> Not, not right now. Not you right put now. me, you put me on the spot. Yeah. Work hard, uh, stay focused. Well, that's okay. Sure. The essence yeah. of teamwork is servanthood. Yeah. Well, I, I think the uh, most important type of leadership is servant leadership. You know, where uh, anyone who would be greatest among you should be the servant of all. And mm. it's kind of it's kind of rare in our culture today. It's, most of it's more me first, and uh, and that's a little bit unfortunate. Saw that in politics a lot, mm. a lot of uh, a lot of dysfunction because of it. You know. So. Yeah, I learned over time that the more pressure I was under, the less I could afford to ignore ignore my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a lot. I wrote a bunch down. My hardest job is to is to convince the people of Nebraska that 10-1 is not a losing season. <laughs> well, I would say that's an authentic quote, yes. <laughs> yeah. Know how to win and how to lose and be able to handle adversity. Well, I think that's, that's also good because uh, adversity is a great teacher. And... Uh, you know, usually when you're winning, you're not going to change much. Mm. Everything's flowing along pretty well. But when uh, when you really encounter adversity, then everything's on the table. And you begin to really examine your life and examine what you've been doing and what you haven't been doing. And, and that's when sometimes the most meaningful changes occur in your life mm. is when things really get tough and... Uh, and unfortunately, life has a lot of adversity. And we always think of it's unfortunate, but in some ways, it's fortunate, it's fortunate because uh, that's when the, the greatest things often are, are done. If you were coaching in this climate with the NIL, with the transfer portal, 
how would you handle this situation now? Well, it, it would be difficult. I think that uh, uh, a lot goes back to how you treat players and uh, if they know you care about them, if you can develop a culture on your team where there's a lot of mutual caring, willingness to sacrifice for each other. And some of the great teams we had, I felt that uh, players were really willing to sacrifice uh, personal ambition for the welfare of the team. Good example of that would be, I remember in 1994-1995, we were undefeated two years, won national championships, and then uh, 96, we uh, ended up uh, 11 and two. And we had Jason Peter and Grant Wistrom on our team that year, and they were really good players, and all Americans. And most people had them projected as being first round picks. And I remember they came in to see me and I thought, well, I'm, I'm gonna hear the speech. I've gotta do what's best for me and my family. And they said, well, you know, coach, we were 11 and two this year. I said, yeah, I noticed that. And he said, well, we didn't think that was good enough. And I said, well, I, I agree. He said, well, we're gonna come back and we're gonna win them all. And uh, so, those guys were eligible for the draft, probably would have been first round picks. And at that time, uh, they could probably sign their name for 10 or 12 million, which in those days, in those dollars, be worth 20 million today. Mm. Pretty well set for life, but they came back and you know, they could have been hurt and maybe not had, had that same opportunity another year, but those guys were very instrumental. They, they set the culture. Uh, now everybody said it, but, but the the point was that uh, it it wasn't about them. It was about uh, Nebraska football being good, and uh, and that was kind of a pervasive attitude among many of those teams, where it was a bigger deal to to have that team success. And um, and I think that's really a hard thing. It's hard to create that culture. And I can't say that I, as a coach, did that. Mm. The players did it, we all did it. But there were certain things in place that somehow caused that climate to create itself. And uh, if you can ever do that, and it's probably harder today than ever because of NIL money. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, Let's say that uh, the, if you look at a team, the people that are going to make most of the money will be a quarterback, maybe a receiver, maybe a running back, maybe a linebacker. But the offensive line, those guys are critical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, how many of those guys are going to make a lot of money? Not very many. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's going to be some defensive linemen and some kicking, guy, kicking specialists aren't going to make any money. What's that do to your locker room? You know, mm. I mean, and uh, Dang, I didn't think about that. And I, I, I wrote a letter to a committee that was formulating the rules. And I said, you know, what you ought to do is you take all the NIL money and you pool it. And then the individual who was, was getting the contract, maybe he gets 50%, but the other 50% goes to everybody. 
in in a in an NFL locker room, you have some people are getting made a lot of, paid a lot of money, but everybody's getting a fairly good distribution, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that would make a lot more sense than than to have maybe uh, one fourth of your team or uh, not one fourth, maybe one tenth of your team getting almost all the money mm-hmm. and everybody else not, and because uh, everybody's got to pay a price to 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 move that ball down the field or to stop the opponent, and mm-hmm. it isn't a, it isn't a one man proposition. Michigan, we we tie. You talk. You was talking about you know Jason coming back, Grant coming back. Uh, we were a senior heavy team, twenty three seniors on that ninety seven uh, football team. Uh, could Michigan beat us? What, what, what would have happened if we would have played Michigan for the championship? Well, I don't want to sound self serving here, but I will point out just a few things. Uh, we played uh, Tennessee with Peyton Manning at quarterback. Uh, their running back was a first-round pick. Peerless Bryce was first-round pick. I think they had about five first-round picks mm-hmm. on that team. And uh, we beat them fairly handily by about three, three-and-a-half touchdowns, something like that. And uh, on the other hand, Washington State uh, came pretty close. I think it was a five-, six-point game, mm-hmm. Michigan. And uh, we played an extra game. We went down San Antonio and... Uh, Played A and M, who had won the South Division, and beat them by three, four touchdowns. And uh, I don't like to get gambling into it, but the gamblers said they were, we would have been favored in the game. I did everything I could to play to play uh, uh, Michigan, but uh, I, I even wrote to the commissioner mm. and said, you know, you ought to have the two undefeated teams play. And uh, they uh, said, well, we have this contract with the Rose Bowl and we can't can't get out of it or whatever, didn't mm-hmm. want to. And so we couldn't play them. But uh, anyway, we played a, a very good team and beat them pretty soundly. So who knows who would have won. But uh, I think that uh, if you look at the at the overall picture, I think the thing that hurt us was a close game at Missouri, you mm-hmm. know, and but we made Matt Davison famous for life. <laughs> one and, catch, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's so, a living legend on one catch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Matt Davison. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Coach. Um, when you you think about life now, eighty-five, just had a birthday. Um, what of all the things you've ever done in life, what makes Coach Osborne go now? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I guess not one thing makes you go, but uh, we we I'm still working with teammates every day, and uh, probably the biggest challenge we have is recruiting mentors because we always have about a third more kids who want to mentor than we have mentors, and uh, and I think the, the the people have the wrong idea. They always think, well, if I'm a mentor, I'm sacrificing my time. And it's going to be somewhat of a burden, and uh, but we've almost all of the mentors we talk to, who've been at it for a period of time, will tell you that they get as much or more out of it than the mentee. Because mm. I think if you do something for somebody who, on the surface of it, can't do anything for you in return, 
it has a meaning, a dimension of meaning and purpose to your life that you won't find in any other way. And uh, so I'm mentoring two kids right now. Oh, Coach, you still mentoring? Oh, yeah. Nice. And uh, I mentored one young guy for 13 years. And uh, and uh, he, he had some difficult circumstances. I mentored some, I've mentored five or six kids over, and uh, most of them for five, six, seven years. And, uh, but I, I, those, those people are, are now close to me. Some of them, uh, are, have gone on to other things, but, uh, I've learned something from each one of them. And, uh, I think most people don't realize what kids are going through today. And, because uh, right now, today, in our country, 40% of our children are born outside of marriage. And most of those kids are probably going to be living below the poverty line and with a single parent or no parents. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really concerns me because back in the 60s, that percentage was 3.8%. 3.8% versus 40%. And over half of our kids are growing up without both biological parents today. Mm-hmm. And that would have been less than 10% back in those days. So I think what's happening to our young people is uh, probably the greatest concern. It isn't It isn't Russia invading Ukraine, and that's a big deal. It isn't the economy. It isn't the southern border. It's uh, And those things are all concerns. That's what's happening to our young people. Mm. Because if you read the paper every day, and you see gang activity, you see uh, gun violence, you see other things happening. It's almost always kids mm-hmm. that have have uh, been let down in some way mm-hmm. and uh, and haven't had adequate uh, relationships in their lives. And, uh, and that's one thing that a mentor can do. Mm-hmm. 60 and 3. You won 60 games, you lost three, you won three national championships. Now, there's some people that want me to ask you about the two-point conversion because the old coach in me tried to say, ah, if you win a championship, would you do it? I know as far as 1984, if you had it to do over again, you probably would have done it again, right? Just a different probably, play call? Probably. Maybe a different play call or no, the same play no, call. Not really. Really, yeah. I mean, because we could have caught it. Well, as you know, when at the end of the season you play a bowl game, you look at all of those films of those games, and we're we're pretty sure that, that uh, they'd be in man-to-man defense mm-hmm. on a two-point situation. And, uh, and so we moved our halfback, Jeff Smith. Mike Rozier had gotten hurt and moved Jeff up to kind of a wing position, ran him to the flat, put our wide receiver and Irving Fryer on a slant inside, which kind of cleared things out to the flat. We felt we'd have a linebacker running with Jeff. And that's what happened. And uh, and Turner Gill rolled out. And Turner was a tremendously accurate guy, even on the run. And uh, the ball was thrown just a little bit behind. And a guy came off his receiver and lunged and got a fingertip on the ball. And uh, I'd say probably four out of five times we complete that pass and mm. win the game. But I didn't know what was going on over in the Sugar Bowl. You know, Georgia was a pretty good team, and I didn't know how people were going to vote. And uh, I felt in order to win 
in order to win a national championship, you had to win the game. Mm -hmm. I just assumed that was the way it was. And of course, after the fact, people say, well, if you kicked a point, you'd have won. I'm not sure if I would have voted number one a team that had settled for a tie. Because mm. you know, I, 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 I had a vote. I wouldn't vote for a team that settled for a tie. So anyway, that's, that's what we did. But we came close. Uh, we lost Mike Rozier during the game, and they jumped out to, I don't know what it was, 17 to nothing lead. And we kind of battled back and got back into the game. 93, uh, we played well enough to beat Florida State. Oh, yeah. And uh, probably uh, there's some things that happened in that game that were leaving me shaking my head. We had a 80-yard punt return by Corey Dixon, and nobody touched anybody where you could remotely say there was a clip. It just, I, it was a phantom. And and then they uh, fumbled the ball to one and, yeah. and uh, were given a touchdown. And, and you know, Bobby, Bobby Bowden's a good friend of mine. And I, I'm glad Bobby won a championship. You know, he won another one after that. But, uh, and he's a good friend, but he, he told me that uh, some pretty strange things happened <laughs> that day. So, so, uh, but I always took a great deal of satisfaction in how you played. And in that 84 game, uh, 85 Orange Bowl, it was uh, January. But we, we, we played hard and we played well and we came back in the game and put ourselves in position to win in the same way in 93. We probably were a little unlucky in 93 not to win that game. But we were probably a little, a little bit lucky in 97. Because of the Missouri game. Because of Missouri. Yeah. yeah. But uh, people still, some of the sports writers felt it was a loss. <laughs> so, anyway. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yes, sir. Coach, you got a, you have a 2-0 and record against Nick Saban, and, and I'd like to say you have a pretty good eye for talent. When you played him that last time in 96, I mean, you probably couldn't have guessed that he'd become, you know, what he is today. But, but could you see, like, he was a, he was a really talented young coach? Well, I I thought thought he was. <laughs> I don't. I didn't know that time, but uh, I know he was really disappointed up at Michigan State. We we had beaten them pretty pretty good. But I told him after the game, I said, Nick, I said we've really got a good team, and and don't feel bad about your team because this is really probably the best team I ever coached. And uh, I went down and spoke at their coaches clinic. Uh, I don't know when it was, he'd been at Alabama for a couple of years then. And I talked to him, I talked to the coaches there about the process, you know, that uh, we, never, we didn't really talk a whole, whole lot about winning or losing. Talked about the process, what you did on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And I don't know if that's where Nick got it from or not, but Nick always talks about the process. And, and he's right, you know. Um, you, you can't give a, a pep talk and all of a sudden win a game. You know, the, the, when 15 minutes before you go on the field, players are, they're not thinking about what you're saying. But you can, you can get the word across and, and teach things on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If you practice the right things with the right intensity frequently enough and, uh, and you're and you continue to do that day after day after day, that's that's the thing that, that makes for a successful program. And I got that, this isn't something I came up with, 
John Wooden, the basketball coach, told me that a long time ago. And uh, John won 10 national championships in 12 years. And uh, he emphasized the process. First practice, he showed players how to put their socks on so they didn't get wrinkles and get blisters. And then how to bend your knees on a free throw and how to pass the ball and all of the fundamentals. And, uh, and he said the same thing. He said, it's, uh, if you teach the right things well enough, frequently enough, with the right intensity, you don't ever have to talk about winning or losing because winning and losing takes care of itself. And that's the way I always believed. And, and it was sound advice from, from John Wooden. Coach, you always said make sure that you treat everybody in the university fair. Meaning make sure that you know uh, the janitor to, to the guy that was, you know, uh, um, cleaning the locker room. Why was that so important to you that we treated everybody with respect? Well, there's a principle of the 99 and the 1. And what that means is uh, the way the 1 is treated affects the 99. I remember one time I was with the 49ers, and, and our coach one day said uh, we were going to play the Packers. And the Packers were a really good team at that time. He said, um, he said you know, the, their center, Jim Ringo, was an all-pro player said, we know he's got a bad knee. We don't know which one it is. So when he lines up to deep snap on a punt as a center, we're going to put a guy on each shoulder, and we're going to go after both knees. Mm. And they did. I remember they carried Jim Ringo off on a stretcher. And uh, I remember how I felt about that. Uh, you know, I didn't know Jim Ringo. He went on our team. But I thought, you know, if that coach would do that to Jim Ringo, uh, when push came to shove, he wasn't going to worry about me or anybody else on his team. Mm. And so how you treat the secretary, how you treat the janitor, how you treat the, treat the lowest walk-on on your team, the scout team player, affects everybody, you know. And, uh, and so uh, we felt that was important that everybody had a role to play and that everybody had to understand their role and uh, and that they needed to be appreciated and uh, recognized. So, you know, we had a scout team player of the week and and all those kind of things. And uh, everybody, I think, felt valued. And when you talk about creating a culture, I think if people feel valued, if they understand what they're supposed to do, they understand their role, they're a lot more apt to buy into the fact that it isn't all about them. Yeah. It's about everybody. And... Uh, if you can create that culture, then you've got a chance, even with NIL and even with uh, all the other things going on in college athletics today, you know. But it's, a, it's really difficult. It's, I hope people realize that coaching today has is, is got a lot of, lot of roadblocks. Mm -hmm. how, how important was, you know, scouting well, to, to were, what we did? Mm -hmm. Well, they were critical because uh, – the more accurate you could see in practice what the other team was going to do, the better prepared you were. And uh, and we were really fortunate because we had those walk-on players, and some of them were walk-on players, some of them were scholarship players on the walk on the scout team. But uh, those guys really laid it on the line, 
And uh, when Scott Frost transferred back from Stanford, mm. he was on the scout team. Mm -hmm. And he was against Christian Peter and Jason Peter and Grant Westrom and those guys. And they weren't easy on him, mm -mm. you know. But Scott uh, won their respect because he took his lumps and he, uh, he did the best he could there. And uh, so I always had good scout teams. And uh, that made us a lot better on Saturday afternoon. You know, I was going to have Jock Allen call in, the greatest scout team player ever. <laughs> well, I figured that might be too much fun if we had Jock, if we had Jock call in. Well, I, I always enjoyed talking to Jock. <laughs> and uh, he, he was a genuine free spirit. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Coach, if you can, if you can, we're going we to get ready to end this. Coach Osborne's got to get ready to go. But if you had something that you wanted to say to the ticket fans, to Husker fans, uh, just about moving forward with, with the football team, what would it be? Well, I just hope that we continue to have the uh, fan support we've had. And, um, you know, it's gotten it's gotten more difficult because, uh, you know, a lot of young people uh, in the stadium, they want to they wanna be able to have social media and be entertained and all that type thing. And the, and the older people like me, they're dying off or, not able to go to the games anymore. So I hope we continue to have a strong fan base because that has been the one thread that has really held this thing together, mm. been the one constant over all these years. And uh, and I want to thank those fans uh, for their loyalty and just hope that they uh, continue to see it through. There have been a lot of changes made now with the football program, and, and let's hope uh, for the best. I, I would assume that there are, we'll see some results, and uh, certainly hope so. They are the two. You got, you got your. Give me your best go big red, coach. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a good cheerleader. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got the voice for it. I'm, oh. I got a voice that I'll be, beat up. I'm 85 years old. So. Coach, you still, you still in shape though. You, you look good, man, and uh, it's, it's a, it's amazing. Thank you for, for offering me a scholarship. Thank you for sticking with me, even though sometimes, you know, I had some, some issues and problems, but you never gave up on me. You always encouraged me, so I appreciate it. Well, you. thank you for being a good blocker <laughs> and for not be, not moaning and groaning around because we didn't throw you 100 passes. <laughs> well, so. it, it felt good to me when I knew I was in the game and Amon just went for 60 or somebody had got in the game and went for – big yardage it felt good that i knew i was a part of that you know when i go back and watch that well, so. you're you're a big part of it well i appreciate <laughs> that coach and, and coach man you make sure that you come back and see us we want to continue to help our teammates in any way we can teammates.org that's right if you want to yeah. become a teammates we need about a hundred of you guys to step up to the plate help a young mind out help somebody like myself that uh, needs just a little bit of help just a little bit of bump coach thank you okay thank you for sean TyroneBird.com with Coach Osborne. The ticket, 93.7, the captain. Thank you.